And as we enter into this subject matter, and, and I think this is new for us as a body of believers, to consider the things we're about to consider. But also understand that we are in times like none other for the church in our lifetime. The stress and extremes that we are dealing with now have not been dealt with by any other leadership team, pastor or elder board, or community of believers within our memory. Those who taught me had no prior experience to pass on to me in case this all happened in my future ministry, and now it has. Right? There are no playbooks to research, no seven simple steps to follow, no game plan to revert to because all of this is new and it changes as fast as we can adapt to it. And so we come back to the response of those disciples of Jesus who, after hearing Jesus insist that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to follow him, and having seen a multitude of fellow discipleships jump ship, they jump ship, right? When asked by Jesus if they would leave also, they said this in John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So for us also, we must turn to the words of life provided to us through the written word of the scripture. Remember, the living word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword cutting deep into the meat and bone of the matter, no matter what the matter is. His word abides forever. Maybe I could get an amen on that. Yeah. So when we begin to understand how the diversity of worship is empowered by obedience, we inevitably find at the same time a deepening of our relationship with the Lord through the obedience expressed as worship. Listen to this very powerful and profound statement made by the prophet Samuel rebuking King Saul for offering a sacrifice to God rather than waiting in obedience for Samuel to arrive and do it. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said to Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Remember, in Samuel's day, burnt offerings, sacrifices, and the fat of rams was the most prominent form of worship there was within the outworking of Judaism, and yet God desired worship of obedience over that, hands down. Get this out of your head. Jesus is not for you just because you pray to sinner's prayer, go to church on Sunday, and vote right wing. He is for us within the all-encompassing parameters of the Father's expressed will for our lives as we pursue that in spirit and in truth. 
I love this account of worship and obedience as warfare that we find in Joshua 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am. No, but I am. Did you catch the subtlety of that? If I were to translate that into Hebrew, it would say, No, but I Yahweh. No, but I am Yahweh. The commander of the army of the Lord, now I have come. So essentially, he's saying, Yahweh has come on the scene. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm for my purposes and my purposes alone. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the same thing that the burning bush said to Moses. Jesus is for you as a human, as a believer, as an obedient disciple. But that does not mean he is for your every opinion that you hold. Every decision you make or every attitude that you have and he is never for you in order to stand against another that you have an opinion about because they said something about you on Facebook. He does not take sides in emotional hissy fits. But he is always for you when you are for him, for his kingdom or for mercy and righteousness. Jesus stands immovable for the Father's will, and when you step into that, you are on holy ground. 2 Chronicles 15.1, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb, and he went out to meet Asa. Asa was the king of Judah, and said to him, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. While you are with him, the Lord is with you while you are with him. You know, I, I get people who are so discouraged. You know, God doesn't listen to my prayers. He isn't doing what I want him to do. Well, that would make you God over God, wouldn't it? Mm. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, if you jump ship, he will forsake you. So what does worship as obedience look like in practical terms, or should I say in supernaturally practical terms? Let's look back again to Joshua at Jericho as an example. 
And I know this is a very familiar biblical story, and I know that if you have any Sunday school background, you have heard it, maybe acted it out or sang about it in a song, but mostly about the walls falling down, right? The fact of the matter is, is that was merely the end result of the really important activity of worship empowered by obedience. And just to get a feel of how strange this must have felt to Joshua and his armies, consider this remake of Joshua's encounter with the commander of God's armies. So how many of you have active or past military experience? Let me see your hands. Oh, boy, a whole bunch of you, right? Any of you ever been deployed? Hands. Okay. How about deployed having authority over other troops? Anyone? Oh, it's still going. All right. So you're getting ready to go into battle, and the commander, a five-star general, shows up and lays out strategy for your unit. And then he says to you, Scott, take off your boots. What? <laughs> take off your boots. Right? Can you imagine that as a military person? Oh, okay. That's what happened. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua had already hit the deck, face to the ground in worship. But in order to accomplish these divine battle strategies, he also had to move in unquestioned obedience because they were contrary to standard military strategy both then and now. So here's the plan, Joshua 6.1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Sounds like a plan to me, right? So that you understand what they're up against here. The walls of Jericho were 13 plus feet high, set on top of a 35 degree inclined mound. I don't know what the height of that mound was. It had a 28-foot-high defensive tower overlooking the gate with the top of the walls side to side being 6 foot 5 inches thick. They built people's homes up against as well as into the walls from the inside of the city for even more structural support. The wall city was relatively small, only covering 6 acres, and it was surrounded by a 27-foot-wide, 9-foot-deep trench cut into solid bedrock, acting as a moat with a circumference of over 2,000 feet, a formidable defensive system in its day. Remember, 
Joshua and the Israelites have been tent dwellers for the prior 45 years. And this is their first siege of a city. So lead on, Captain. Joshua 6.6. 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priest who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. The Ark is where God's presence is. So in his presence, seven priests blow seven ram's horns. Seven is the number of completeness. And the horns are made by, not made by man's design, but by God's choice, even as the ram caught in the thicket for Abraham as God's provision. So we have God's complete provision through the expression of complete worship acted out in complete obedience as an act of warfare. And what does that produce? Remember six days of walking in a circle only to walk in a circle seven times on the seventh day so that everybody gets to shout at their enemies. I haven't heard anything about a weapon yet, right? Let me share a little story that happened in England in 1831. On April 12, 1831, 74 British soldiers got the surprise of their lives when the newfangled suspension bridge they were marching across collapsed. The bridge at Broughton near Manchester, England, was built in 1826 of the new suspension style, being one of Europe's first suspension bridges and only five years old. It was considered state-of-the-art. As the British troops marched in time, right? All of you remember that? Right? They marched in time in four columns across the bridge. Their synchronized footsteps began a rhythmic resonance, creating a pleasant sort of bounce, causing some of the men to start whistling in time. I can't whistle, so. Unfortunately, the troops' movement of the bridge Unfortunately, the troops did not realize that the bouncing resonance created more and more up-and-down movement of the bridge until a structure started breaking up and collapsed, taking soldiers with it. Obviously, the lesson was learned, and afterwards, British soldiers would march in break step, not in time with each other. 
U.S. military veterans will recognize this as being ordered to route step, route step march upon approaching a bridge and not resuming marching to cadence until the bridge is crossed. So, so what happened? Resonance, resonance. Vibrating sound waves turned that suspension bridge into a giant stringed instrument that produced a tonal resonance that changed and weakened the molecular structure of the steel. And this is what happened at Jericho. See, if four columns of soldiers between 450 to 1,000 troops per column marching in cadence destroyed that bridge, check out these numbers that arrived at Jericho. This is the census account of every male of military age that the Lord took just before they crossed the Jordan to approach Jericho. The results in the, are in the order they appeared in the text as follows. The tribe of Reuben had 46,500 military men. Simeon's tribe, 59,300 men. Gad, 55,650 men. Judah, 74,600. Issachar, 54,400. Zebulun, 57,400. Ephraim, 40,500. Manasseh, 32,200 men. Benjamin, 35,400 men. The tribe of Dan, 62,700 men. And the tribe of Asher, 41,500 men, Naphtali, 53,400 men, for a grand total of 603,550 fighting men of military age. Over 600,000 men marching in cadence, followed by the priest with their trumpets continually sounding. And we have no idea what the tonal pitch of those horns were. Followed again by all the people waiting to get vocals seven days times the seven times on the seventh day. And suddenly everything let loose. So for six days, they're loosening the foundation. Times 600,000 feet, right? They do that for six days, and then on the seventh day, they do it seven times, and all the trumpets are blowing continually. Joshua 6.15, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day. Can you imagine being on the wall watching this? Like, what the heck is going on? And they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And in verse 20, So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. Now, that doesn't mean it fell down flat this way. It literally fell down flat. 
everything below it had turned to mush. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. No siege machines, no catapults, no ladders to try to scale the walls, just spiritual warfare, implemented through acts of worship and empowered by absolute obedience, changed the very makeup and substance of the obstacle that was before them and gave them the victory needed to enter the promised land. Now, I'm going to read that whole thing again, that last paragraph, and I want you to hear that for your own situation. What is the obstacle in front of you? What are you up against right now? What is the enemy erected in your life that you're struggling with? No siege machines. Don't use the ways of the world. No catapults, no ladders to try to scale the walls, just spiritual warfare. If you aren't here Wednesday night in prayer, don't whine when you don't get your victory. Unless you got cheese. You can always whine when you got cheese. Spiritual warfare implemented through acts of worship and empowered by absolute obedience changed the very makeup and substance of obstacles before them. What did Jesus say? If you have faith to believe, you can say to that mountain, mountain be removed and it will be removed. Now tell me you don't have a mountain in your way. And this is not a one-shot deal. It's a spiritual principle that was used throughout the Old Testament. Next week, we're going to look at some New Testament stuff in spiritual warfare, in worship and obedience. So this is Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them, some of the, I love this. This is the first time I've seen this in the scripture. This is so, so relevant to our day. It's so relevant to each one of us in this room. So there are the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites. The Meunites. Me, me, me. All the me's united, right? Me, me, mine, mine, me, me. <laughs> the Meunites. <laughs> We're all descended from a tribe, right? The Meunites. I can't believe this. The Meunites came up against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are at Hazaran, Tamar, that is, at Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. See, there's the prayer meeting. What do you do when trouble comes? Get together. Don't be a me unite. Be an us unite, right? Come together in prayer. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? 
You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand. So where do you want to be when trouble comes? In his hand, right? Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of our possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Now here, here's a wonderful little verse to hang on to. You ought to put this one on your fridge. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. When you don't know what to do, look up. Your redemption draws near. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. Oh, we need the kids back in here. We need them back. That's one of the things we're going to start doing real soon. We're going to be fixing up the upstairs, resetting that, and cleaning it, and uh, deodorizing that. And in September, we're going to be inviting the kids back. So we're looking for some volunteers for Sunday school again. Okay? If you're interested in being involved there, touch base with any of the pastors. So with their little ones, their wives, and their children, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, uh, son of Jael, son of Mataniah. Do you remember your great-great-great-grandfather's name? I don't. Gee whiz. A Levite of the sons of Asaph in the middle of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours. Now, you can go ahead and fight all you want. Wear yourself out. Get all under the weight of anxiety and fear and all of that if you want, or you can be still and know that he is God, right? Because the battle is not yours, it's his. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great whore, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat 
bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So here's the battle before them. And what is the response? Worship. Worship. But add to that the obedience to what the prophetic word says, and you have victory. When you have worship empowered by obedience, you are guaranteed victory in the Lord. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Do you believe in the Lord your God? Do you believe that he has good for you and not bad? Do you believe he wants you to be the first and not the last? To be victorious and not defeated? Right? Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, there's a battle plan. Right? They're going out to war. There's a whole array of three armies come together to come against them, and they're responding to this invitation to battle. And the king leading his army says, all right, worshipers to the front. Begin to play your instruments. Begin to sing your songs. Somebody start shouting that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. What a battle plan. Have you tried that yet? When the enemy is coming against you hard as he can, have you stood up and lifted up your hands and started singing and saying, Oh, Satan, guess what? The Lord is good and his love endures forever. Now watch what happens. And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set up an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. Now watch what he does to them. This is so amazing. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. So one of the three groups, right, gets to be the target. The other two groups swarm them and kill them all off. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. In other words, these three armies destroyed themselves. Why? Because Israel was sounding their instruments, singing their songs, and praising the Lord with shouts that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And when you do that, the enemy hates it. And he's going to express that hate anywhere he can, even if it's against his own. So within the diversity of worship expressed in the framework of obedience, we are able to shift the threat and burden of warfare from anxiety and fear of our own human weakness and entrust it into the care of the commander of the army of the Lord through the act of obedient worship, which brings confusion 
to our enemies. Let me close with this scripture, which will probably launch us next week. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I know you think somebody's doing that stuff against you. I know you got a name. Someone comes to mind that's causing you all this grief. And boy, if they just leave me alone. Uh, listen, that isn't what the Bible says. It isn't a person. It's a power. It's a principality. It's an assignment against you. It's somebody in the spiritual realm who does not want you to attain to the fullness of Christ in your lifetime so that even if you make it into paradise, you will not get a reward because you accomplish nothing. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Is there a present darkness right now? It is palpable, isn't it? I mean, it's ridiculous. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. To stand firm. Would you stand with me now and let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, we declare that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And we invite you to come, Holy Spirit, to each one who is up against a wall, up against a mountain, up against an issue, up against somebody else pressing in on all their emotional buttons so that they're full of anxiety and fear and anger and hatred. Holy Spirit, would you come as the captain of the host of the army of the Lord to teach us how to war by the Spirit, to teach us how to war against the realm of the spiritual. Lord, would you give us the weapons of your warfare that we might abandon our own ways, that in trust and obedience we would gain the victory because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. So we come to you today like Joshua, we bow before you, O oh God. We bend the knee. Uh, we worship you. Lord, we're ready in obedience to do what you ask us to do because of the love of Jesus Christ. We say, come, Holy Spirit, come. So if you need some kind of hands-on prayer today, we're going to have some prayer teams up here and off in the little foyer area back here. Uh, if you online need prayer, you can uh, go ahead and write something to uh, on the Facebook presence there, and we'll get back to you. We'll respond to that and see if we can hook somebody up to pray with you, all right? So, Lord, I pray for these people, those who are here in this room, those who are watching uh, through the Internet. Lord, let your grace abound. Let the comfort and the peace of the Holy Spirit 
be the weapon we wield today as we gain victory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.